Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Check, check, check. I had to do a microphone check. You know, I'm a rapper, so, you know, when I get on the mic, I just... Mic check. Good morning, Avenue Community Church. If you don't know, now you know. My name is Michael Anthony Johnson II. Woo woo, yeah. A lot of y'all call me MJ here. If you don't know, I serve y'all as the community evangelist here, transitioning into a new title, TBD. We ain't gonna, we ain't gonna release that yet. Something else. But um, like I said, I'm a community evangelist, been serving here coming up on two years. Coming up on two years, yeah. I started around Labor Day last year, so yeah, my wife and I, my beautiful wife, y'all made some noise for Cher Johnson. And our two boys, y'all know Tripp and Zion. Um, but I also want to give a shout out to my in-laws. Y'all make some noise for them. They are in the building. Came all the way from Chattanooga. Chattanooga. To be here, to see their in-law, their son-in-law, preach the word. So I appreciate that. Y'all, right, give me something funky, man. Give me something. Give me something. You, you know me, bro. Come on, bro. Because I want to I, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna do something with the title. I'm going to just give y'all the title first. God. So I want you to repeat after me. Say, God. Got a plan. I know we got some scholars in here. Y'all might say, God has a plan. But I don't talk like that. God. Got a plan. Let's get on beat. Let's get on. Come on, let's get on beat. It ain't true. It ain't true. It's the ad. We got to get through. We got to just, that was cool. Uh-huh. Hey. I would say it like this. I say, God got a plan. I say, God got a plan. My bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. I, I say, God, hey, got a plan. Turn to your neighbor and say, God. Got a plan. There we go. Where we go? There we go. I ain't gonna jump into too much. But um, my bad. My uh, I'm using my sister Lathea's iPad, and unfortunately, we don't look the same, so I can't open it with Face ID. So y'all give me a second <laughs> to open it up. I'm not as beautiful as Steve, but y'all. God got a plan, y'all. God got a plan. And as the scripture um, that was read this morning, I know it's kind of a lot to unpack in that and to come out of that understanding that God has a plan. So before I say anything else, I just want to preface this sermon with, if you don't see every point or everything in this sermon through the lens of Jesus, it may be a little difficult to understand that God has a plan. Because Jesus, don't say Jesus, is God's plan. So God got a plan. Y'all, what I hope to show y'all from this scripture is that Jesus is the one whom God sent and planned to be the savior of our sins, that we can trust him, and we can trust God because of his character, his kind, loving, and faithful character. Appreciate you, Ot. 
We can trust God, and we can trust God's plan because of God's character, all right? Now, I'm coming out of, let me put that first slide up for me, Brother Tez. So the first, first thing I want to say is that we are coming out of the book of Isaiah. Yeah, God has a servant. Now, if you got a Bible, I'm talking about a hard book, not the, not the digital one. Sometimes the digital one does it too, but it gives you a title. It gives you, you know, a front of a passage or a chunk of passage that says something. It says, uh, God's redeeming justice, God's love, God's mercy. And then in, and in on Isaiah 42, in the beginning, it says, you know, uh, this is my servant whom I chose. So this is in the book of Isaiah. I'm going to give you a little bit of Isaiah, a little bit about uh, chapter 42, where we're going to be reading out of, and then we're going to get right into it. Is that cool? Y'all can say cool or amen. It don't matter to me. It means the same thing. You in agreement? Amen. Amen. So coming out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is what we would call one of the major prophets, all right? Major prophets written between 746 and 97 B.C., mainly for Judah and Israel. The book of Isaiah is primarily focused on God's judgment for turning a deaf ear to him and how he will also be their salvation. And also this theme, the theme of this book finds its meaning, its expressed meaning in the name Isaiah, which means the Lord saves or the Lord is Savior. So Isaiah means the Lord saves. Uh, salvation is also revealed so thoroughly uh, throughout Isaiah that Augustine, who is a great theologian, he's, he has called it the fifth gospel. And many other people have called the book of Isaiah a uh, mini Bible because it has 66 chapters just like the Bible has 66 books. So um, it's also home to some well-known passages, the passage of uh, uh, we need somebody to go, here I am, send me, the uh, virgin birth, the uh, pierce for our transgressions verse. So it's uh, many more verses, uh, and I, you know, I advise you to go look at those because it's so interesting to see where we get a lot of our Christmas themes and our Christmas verses come from Isaiah as well. Now let's zero in down to chapter 42. Now by this time in chapter 42, a few things have already been established within the context of the book of Isaiah. All right, so by this point, Isaiah, for one, they being naughty, they have been rebellious towards God. Another thing, God is their only hope for salvation. And lastly, someone is coming who will establish and uphold justice and righteousness. Someone is coming who will establish and uphold justice and righteousness. So those three things, Israel's been rebellious. God is their only hope. God got a, say it with me, God got a plan. Let's get into it. Now, also with chapter 42, just the first two verses, this, these are small tidbits. This is one of the first of four, uh, it's called servant songs. Servant songs. There's four other ones in Isaiah. The first one is in Isaiah 42, second one is in Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and then 52 and 53. So servant songs, what they are, the reason they're called servant songs is because they're describing something. They're describing this servant life. They're describing the, surf, uh, the service of his life. They're describing the suffering of his life and the exaltation of the Messiah. So that's chapter 42. 
If y'all ready to get into this, say amen. 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 Now, number one, God has a servant. I'm not going to try to, you know, keep this a secret and, you know, wait to the end or anything else like that. But this servant is Jesus, Yeshua. This servant is Jesus. Like I said before, a lot of this won't really come into fruition. And Jesus, we really won't come into fruition if we're not looking at it through the lens of Jesus. Amen? So God has a servant. Let's start in Isaiah 42.1. says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will bring justice to the nations. This servant, y'all, like I said, is Jesus. Why is that important? Why is it important that it's Jesus? How do we know it's Jesus? Why is it important that we identify this as Jesus and not Israel or, or us or the people that God is talking about in this passage of Scripture? Well, Jesus is prophesied as the Messiah for one. He's the Christ, the anointed one, who God distinctly identified many years ahead of his arrival on earth. Talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. Now, also, there are many other fulfilled prophecies all throughout the scriptures of Isaiah describing Jesus' character, describing his life, describing his death, describing his resurrection. All of these things are found also throughout the Old Testament as well. And they form a unified promised plan of God where each promise is connected into a grand series consisting of one continuous plan from God. All right? I know that's a mouthful, but I think a lot of uh, preachers call it a silver lining. So from the beginning of Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New, Genesis to Revelation, there's a silver lining of prophecies about this man called Jesus, this God-man called Jesus, all right? Now, this description or this identity of this Christ is the way, it's, the way that it's panned out. We're going to get into it. The way that it's panned out in Isaiah 42, it perfectly fits the characteristics of Jesus. Nobody else, not even Israel, God's chosen, not us, not anybody else. Just a few examples. Matthew 3.17 says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What does it say in Isaiah? It says, This is my servant and my chosen, whom I, uh, whom I uphold, whom my soul delights. Matthew 12.18, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. That is a direct quote from Isaiah that's quoted in Matthew. Now, I think that one is quoted in red letters, too, so you know what the red letters mean. That was Jesus talking. So Jesus is prophesying about himself to his audience while he's walking amongst the Israelites, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Romans, and everybody else, all right? So the servant is the son. The servant is the son. Now, let's get into this servant, this Jesus. Let's get into his character. Why is it important that we get into his character? It's because when we talk about who God sent and we talk about why he sent, it's more important that we describe 
the person who he sent rather than the problems that he sent them, Jesus, to actually fulfill. We know sin, hurt, pain, we know all of those things. But let's get into this character. Let's start off with this. It says, he would not cry out. He would not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. This is Isaiah 42, 2. He would not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he would not break and a faintly burning wick he would not quench. He will faintly, faithfully bring forth justice. One of the first things that we can see about his character is that when he talks about that bruised reed, he says, he won't break a bruised reed. He's gentle. He won't put out a faintly burning wick. He will be merciful. He won't cry out. This crying out is a Hebrew idiomatic expression, which basically means to lift up one's voice. You know the song, lift every voice and sing till the Not like that. I should be in the, I should be in the, don't, no, don't do that, bro. But it's an idiomatic expression, meaning to lift up one's voice. What the Hebrews would hear is to lift up one's voice either to wail, to lament, to call out loudly, or to proclaim. We know we have context clues in the way that we talk as Americans, the Hebrews and other cultures do as well. So when they hear he's, he won't cry aloud, and then they look at that in the context of why he won't cry aloud, they would probably assume that either he won't cry aloud because he's suffering and he won't scream for help, or he won't cry aloud and proclaim himself to make himself known. And we can kind of see that prophecy fulfilled in Matthew 12, 15. Jesus is going through and he's healing people and, and all of a sudden he says, don't tell nobody. Don't, 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 don't tell nobody yet. So Jesus was telling them not to proclaim, not to make, make me known, yet Jesus wasn't doing it himself. So we can kind of look at the context clues and, and know that he meant not to proclaim himself. So we see that we have a gentle, we have a a merciful Savior. We have one who's not boastful and loud about himself. And then it also says he will faithfully, he will bring justice faithfully. Say faithfully. Faithfully. Justice. Faithfully. This justice, this justice, y'all, is, this is a good justice. I know we can assume all justice is good, but this one specifically means a rectifying justice. This rectifies something, but it also punishes the wrongdoers, and it cares for the victims of unjust treatment, of unjust treatment. So this is a rectifying justice that punishes wrongdoers and cares for the victims of unjust treatment. And we see just the character of him. We can already see that he's gentle, humble, uh, uh, merciful, that he's, he won't cry aloud. He'll faithfully bring forth justice. All of these characteristics are rooted in God's character. A few verses. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Psalm 89, 14, 
Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. So we see that this character of this servant is in perfect alignment with the characteristics of God. And when we're talking about justice, this is not what, this ain't what God do. God don't do justice. He is justice. He is justice. This is who he is. Now this is, it's so important for us to frame up this servant as the son, as Jesus. And that's because he's presented as God. And God has presented him as the only hope for Israel, for one. And also for the nations. This says the nations. So I will have my spirit put upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. When they're talking about the nations, what they will hear, they will hear Gentiles. They will hear anyone who isn't a Jew. They will hear anyone who isn't a Jew. In contrast, just in later verses, Jesus is, or God is saying, behold, behold something. Here he starts off and saying, behold my servant. Previously he was saying, behold these idols who are worth nothing. Or behold these idols who come in power like empty wind. But we know that this servant, who is Jesus, he don't have empty power. He says, God delights in him. God says, I will put my spirit upon him. That's his power. And he will bring justice faithfully. Justice is a good thing, y'all. And biblical justice is, a, is an even better thing because biblical justice creates the perfect human society. Can I get an amen? Yeah, I was uh, reading this and, and I was uh, trying to come up with some illustrations to describe this servant and how he's chosen by God and how he brings justice. And so I started thinking, I was like, man, I could use something like you know, I could use a Harry Potter reference. Anybody here watch Harry Potter? Harry Potters? I was like, you know, he was kind of a chosen one. I was like, uh, I could use Katniss Everdeen from uh, Hunger Games. Okay, there we go, Renata. I was like, I could use Star Wars Anakin. Star Wars, woo woo. Where my boy Baki at? There he is. He said, you were the chosen one. I was like, I could use the Matrix, and you know, Neo. Neo was like, you know, the chosen one. But y'all know what I landed on? I landed on something else. And this dude wasn't even necessarily chosen. I landed on Sam from Holes. <laughs> y'all remember Sam? What was his line? What was his line? I can fix that. He came in with the teacher. And it was a mixed race couple, too. It was a mixed race. It was like us, babe. We was, they were swirling like us. Sam was black. The teacher was white. They was living in, like, you know, maybe the 30s or 50s where they probably really wasn't, like, you know, wasn't accepted. But he always came to her. She was like, ah, oh, I got a whole leak in the roof. I can fix that. Well, you know, the kids need this. I can fix that. His character was consistent. I, I, I picked him because his character was consistent. He was always gentle. He was always humble wasn't necessarily chosen, and I didn't want to focus just on that, but I want to focus on the characteristics of Jesus as well, consistent, consistent with God, like a thumbprint. In Hebrews, it talks about he is the exact print. 
So, I say out to say, if you trust the whale, who's God, you can trust the water, who's Jesus, right? If you trust the whale, you can trust the water. You trust the water. Can I get an amen, lights and walls? I don't know what that means, PT. I just said it, bro. But it works. Let's get on to our next point. After God uh, chose a servant, what did he do? Or he has a servant. God chose a people. God chose a people. Let's read in Isaiah 42, verses 2 and through 4. It says, He would not cry aloud or lift up his voice or made it heard in the street. A bruised reed he would not break and a faintly burning wick he would not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. God chose a people, y'all, a very specific people. These people that he chose, they weren't always seen as the smartest, the strongest, the wisest, the beautifulest. That's a word right here in Memphis, the most beautifulest. He didn't choose the people who this world would choose. Y'all, weakness, weariness, and sin qualifies you to be chosen by God because of his sympathy and his love for the human race, for the human race. Let's get into this bruised reed. This is some more Hebrew language, but I'm going to do my best to try to explain that to today's uh, knowledge. That's called what? Hermeneutics, right, Tim? The hermeneutics. A bruised reed. In some cases throughout the uh, Bible, this bruised reed was also identified as something that was splintered and it would, and it would hurt somebody's hand. Like a splintered um, rod on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a sword or something. If they grabbed it and they tried to um, use that as security, as that weapon, it would splinter them. And this is described as some king. This is described as Egypt. Uh, Egypt is a splinter. But this splinter also describes someone who's broken, somebody who's distressed, somebody who's contrite. I had to open up Webster's for contrite, you know. I heard that word, and then, you know, I'm a context reader, so sometimes I can just read between the lines. I'm like, okay, I got what you're saying. But this is for y'all. So contrite just basically means a feeling or, or expressing deep remorse or guilt. In a nutshell, Isaiah 57, 15 says it like this. It says, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So we see that just from that verse, that's our Emmanuel. Yes, he dwells in a high place, but he also dwells among those who are who, who going through stuff who's going through some hard times in their life and just can't figure it out, don't know where, to, don't know where money's going to come from, don't know where um, a home is going to come from, a church home, a family. People are going through stuff, y'all. 
We're going through a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, but this is who God is choosing. He's choosing these type of people. Our God, y'all, the God of the universe is choosing the very people in this room. And we all may look primped and pretty and put together, but God knows our problems. And he's dwelling, not just in heaven, but he's dwelling with you. He's living with you, walking with you through your circumstances. Secondly, we see his gentle character and not breaking those bruised reeds, but it also says, in a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. We can see his mercy. A burning wick is a burning wick. I'm not about to go too deep into that. It's like a candle that's on his last little bit of candling. <laughs> All right? It's about to be, if the wind ain't going to put it out, then somebody, somebody is. But have you, ever, if you, have you ever been there, just feel like you're on fumes? Just fumes. And, and you're like, man, I can't take nothing else. I can't take nothing else. I'm about to break. But Jesus, for one, he doesn't put you out. But he also chooses you when, it's a, when other people have their lamps well lit. God is choosing you. He's not snuffing you out. Job 13, uh, and Job, Job, you know, y'all know Job went through it. That man was a broken reed, a, a, a faintly burning wick, uh, almost, you know, emptied out cup of Kool-Aid and uh, last little piece of meat on a, uh, some, uh, 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 what's that called, Central's barbecue wings. He was all of that. He was, he was at his end. But he said this to God. He said, will you torment a wind-blown leaf? Will you chase after dry shaft? I think Job understood something just like myself and, and us, is that we understand what it feels like to be frail and weak under the mercy of an all-powerful God. So we ask questions like that, God, will you... I'm in my last. Will you, will you snuff me out? The answer is here. He won't. He will not. God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He's chosen what is weak in this world to shame the strong. This is an idea of who he chooses. First Peter says it like this. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's something to amen and hallelujah about, y'all. We don't got to be too somber about that. I don't mean to bring us so low to know and to acknowledge our sin, but even in our acknowledgement of sin and pain and hurt and anxiety and distress and disease and debt, we can understand and know that God got a plan, and it's found in Jesus, who cares for the weak, who cares for the weary, who cares for those who are entrapped by their sin. God also says, it wasn't because you, Deuteronomy, it wasn't because you were, this is what he said in Israel, it wasn't because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. 
for you were the fewest of all people. I felt like the fewest of all people. I think PT read this verse last week or the week before, Isaiah, not Isaiah, uh, the first Corinthians verse is, it's on my heart so heavy because I, I know that I was weak in this world. I know that I was foolish. I was a fool according to the world's standards. I wasn't accepted in the world. I didn't get the patterns and, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand this world and how to fit in this world. I always felt like that outsider. I always felt less than. I always felt weak and not as smart. I excelled in school. I ain't no dummy. I'm not. But I always felt like, hey, I got picked, I got picked on for being smart. For being smart. For doing the right thing. For trying to, now, y'all, I didn't, and um, this is high school and elementary, y'all, I didn't become a Christian until I was 22, so I wasn't a saint or nothing. I'm just saying that I was somewhat good, and the goodness in me was all because of God, but I was still weak according to this world, but when I found out that, oh, God got a plan, he has a servant who came to die for me, who's going to give me his power and strength, that person is Jesus. And that he chose me, and he's going to give me that same spirit to get out of situations, to not have to try to prove nothing to this world, because I'm already accepted by God. I'm already doing something foolish in this world by standing up here and preaching and telling y'all about a man we cannot see, but we believe in him because we've seen his power work in our lives and the people's lives around us people's lives in the Word and around the world. We can see God. Amen? Now, this promise of this chosen starts off with Israel, bleeds into the Gentiles, who are us. Pretty much probably heard this before. If you're not a Jew, raise your hand if you're a Jew. Nobody in here. We all Gentiles. Okay. God included us with every promise of Israel. So when he talks about the nations and the coastlands in these verses, verse 4 and verse 2, he's talking about us. Now, another thing to, to, to note is that God's promise of this Messiah, the ultimate reason for choosing us wasn't because we were weak, wasn't because we were frail or in need it's because of Jesus and God's promise to fulfill his word, to stand on his word. God says his word would never come back void, never come back void. It's like the rain. The rain comes down, it waters the grass, things grow up. It's like the snow. Snow comes down, things come up. It's sure to happen. It's sure to happen. Man, it's, it's hurting people in this world, this congregation, who not only need to hear the good news about Jesus, but they need to experience it as well. And God wants to use his chosen people to accomplish this very goal. He wants to change people's lives. He wants he to see differences. Y'all, you know, I just explained, you know, how I was weak and, you know, according to the world standards and stuff, so... 
you know, a lot of people be like, oh, mate, you know, you cool or whatever. And I'm like, you don't know who I used to be. I didn't always used to be this fly. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I didn't used to be like this. But I started to realize a change, y'all, when I first became a Christian. I was 22 years old. Off the streets, Jesus just came to me. I didn't, wasn't going to church or nothing. But when I started going to church, you know, I'm from the hood, so I can see through things and people fairly easy right when I meet them. So I go to this church and uh, go to this church and, you know, I go faithfully and, you know, I go on Wednesdays, Wednesday night Bible study, Sundays and stuff, still coming in smelling and looking like my, the world and stuff and doing everything I was doing. But I was coming to the church and, uh, you know, I got real, I got good, in real, I got in real good with like the church mothers. They really love the brother. Them church mothers really love brothers off the streets. They loved on me so, and I was like, man, I feel like, man, if, if anybody got my back, they do. But I didn't really, you know, vibe with the pastor, and I promised PT I'd never, ever do this to him. But the pastor wasn't really, like, I didn't really vibe with him. And so I'm like, man, this dude is talking about all of this other stuff. I'm, you know, I'm going to just remind you, I'm a new Christian full of zeal and righteousness. You know that feeling. You want to tell everybody, you need to stop what you're doing. But that's how I was. I came in like that, and I knew something had changed in me, and I knew that Jesus was real, and I knew that he was the only way and only hope for people. And I felt like the pastor, you know, during like the Wednesday night Bible studies was talking about the building fund a lot. I was like, man, that's all this dude talk about. So they passing the mic around. I got all the church mothers sitting behind me, like in the middle. And so I get on the microphone. I'm very, I'm sure. I was, this is what I said to him. I said, what they got to do with the, uh, what they got to do with Jesus? Y'all, and I was like, did I just really say that? <laughs> I'm not advising anybody to do that to any pastor. But I knew something had changed in me because I was like, wow, I really care about Jesus enough to say this to this pastor. And, it, and you know what made it worse? All the church mothers sitting behind me was like, mm, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> so I was really like, oh, snaps. So he ended his talk and he was like, Mike, let me come talk to you. Brought me to his office, man, was, he was mad at me, but he, wasn't, he didn't show it. But I was like, dang, he's really mad at me. I wouldn't advise anybody to do that. So, or don't do that to, to PT or anybody. But, you know, I realized that I was changed. I knew I was chosen. I knew that. I came from a broken situation, broken home, but I knew that I, I, I changed, y'all. And y'all know broke people don't need money. They need change. I'm saying, broke people don't need money. They need change. I was broke, and I, and I needed that change, but I knew I was chosen. And so that just led me into a lifelong journey, which I'm still on. I'm still as bold as I was before, just wise in my boldness now. I'm not calling out preachers like that all the time. But I know where I, I knew where I came from and I knew how I wasn't accepted in the world and I was weak and I was frail and, and all of these things. As, as, as many things that you can do to try to cover up that part of your humanity, it doesn't matter. God sees right through it. You can have a million accolades, trophies, accomplishments, goals, medals. You could be renowned. You could be uh, popular in everybody's eyes. But God knows the real you. And to allow him to work in and through you, that not only does something 
for the people around you, but it does something for you. It reminds you that, hey, God chose me. I have a responsibility. And I get to be a part of a grand plan because Jesus died for my sins. And I get to live for his righteousness. Amen? So all of this change, y'all, this change, it leads us somewhere. God's not just giving us change and, and saying, okay, you're changed here, which is great. You're changed on earth. But we have hope for a, a changed future. In Isaiah 42, verse 9, says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Before I jump into that, sometimes when God talks about former things and he's mentioning former things in Isaiah, he's not just talking about, specifically, not just talking about things in the past that happened. Sometimes he's talking about former things as in former sins, past sins. But you got to use some context clues to understand that. And what God has revealed to me out of this is that when he talks about former things, he's talking about kind of everything that has happened before, the way that I used to do things, or the way that, not the way I used to do things, the way that you've seen me do things. I'm doing something new. Not new to God, new to you. He says, I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. There's hope for a weak and weary sin, y'all. A weak and weary person burdened by their sin. Just a few examples of these new things, these new things that God is talking about. He says in Isaiah 43, 19, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Another famous verse. He's making a new person. In Ephesians 4, 24, it says, Put on the new self. Created by God. It's true righteousness and holiness. In Hebrews 8.13, he says he's bringing a new covenant. He says the first one is obsolete. It's growing old. He said in one day it will vanish. I'm bringing a new covenant. And then eventually he'll bring a new heaven and a new earth. He said those former things will pass. And, he's, and he said when his former things pass, you won't remember them no more. They won't even come into your mind. I kind of, you know, think about that when I get to heaven. I'm like, man, well, God, man, you know, sometimes you want to do a playback of events in your life or other people's life. You're like, man, I really want to know what Noah was thinking when he didn't kill those two mosquitoes before he got on the, <laughs> on the ark. I mean, I really want to, you know, I, but this says these things won't even be remembered or come to pass. Y'all, I don't think we can comprehend that. We can think of heaven in so many ways. What will we be doing? What will I look like? We have an idea because of Scripture, but we don't know the totality of it because all we experience is this earth. In Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Before the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, talking about the servant. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening 
of the prison to who are bound. This is in Isaiah 61, direct prophecy in Luke 4.18. This servant, this Jesus, who God has chose a people for, who God has chose a future, because of this is that promised Savior. Y'all, just like those in Isaiah time when this was written, we need salvation as well, amen? We need it just as much as they did. Go to my last slide for me, Martez. Y'all, in a, in a world full of uncertainty, pain, disease, and debt, it's comforting to know that it won't last forever because our God has made plans before the be beginning of time to conquer them all through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our God has a plan that includes every weak, weary, and sinful person to receive salvation. And it's based upon those very things. He's done this through his servant, Jesus, who he has chosen. And God was pleasing just as much as he was to crush him but also make his life an offering for sin. That's something that's hard for us to understand because we know that God loved Jesus and that he loved us. But he offered him for our sin, his life for our life. Rich for the poor. Yeah, um, I know I told y'all when I was 22, I was real robust in my, my spiritual walk, and I was just calling preachers and pastors out, and I was trying to figure everything out. But before that happened, y'all, I went through a hard time, like a very, very hard time, probably one of the hardest times of my life, where I lost a lot of things. I went through a similar, and I didn't go through a situation as bad as Job. But after I learned about Job, I was like, man, I kind of lost things like that too. And I was... 22 years old, didn't know the Lord, just living that life. Everything was at the, at the, at the grasp of my head. I could, everything. I had the world in my hand. That's exactly how I felt. I felt like life was easy. I felt like I could do anything. I could get, I could do anything. And then I started losing some of those things. When I started going to that church, and I just started going to that church just based off of what God was doing inside of me. I didn't understand what was happening or what was going to happen. But I lost, I had an apartment, lost that. I had a job, lost that. I had a car, lost that. I had a girlfriend, lost that. All of those things were things that I was grabbing onto that was, I kind of created a kingdom around myself to kind of build myself up in those things and like, okay, this is who I am here, this is who I am here. Yeah, I rapped and everything too, but I was running rapping for the Lord. I was doing everything that was opposite what I'm doing now. Complete opposite. And complete opposite of what a Christian would do. But I was in that situation, y'all, and I tell you, when God redeems you, it's a process and it's a journey. You may not cut everything. I didn't cut everything cold cut out. But I'll tell you, when he changed me, boom, it was like that. One year, in less than a year, I lost all of those things, y'all. 
all of those things, it wasn't like over time, over years. It was maybe five, six months. And then when, when he caught me, when I was falling and I was broken because of my sin, and because of where it would ultimately take me to hell and separation from him forever, he stepped in. I didn't know this man, Jesus. He came to me like a ball of light, and I was just, I was afraid. I, was, I ran from him. He chased me. I ran to run and chase. But when he caught up with me and I stopped running, y'all, that one year that it took for that to happen, it felt like 10 years of my life was gained back. The remembrance of what I did, yeah, it's still in my head. But it was like, man, I, I'm such a new person that that literally, in God's eyes, he's like, hey, don't, don't worry about that. Y'all, Jesus is not just somebody who we sing about on Sundays or who we talk about with our friends. He's not just a good person. Jesus is God. He is Lord. He is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And there's no way to come to God except through Him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your love, your hand, your faithfulness. Jesus, you are our living water, our rock, our strong tower the name above all names and the only name that any man can be saved. Lord, your word says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. Lord, we need justice. We need reconciliation with you, God, and that's only possible through Jesus. So Lord, as we leave and go about our days and our weeks, we pray that we keep you at the center of our mind and our heart. Lord, so that your light may shine through us in hopes of bringing other people to this living water that we can drink from eternally. To know that you are not a God of just punishment, but Lord, you are a God of justice. That your hands are gentle and that you have a plan that you got a plan no matter what happens in our life but we pray all of these things thank you for listening to us God it's in Jesus name we say amen